welcome to Basketball with Glasses, a show by and for college basketball nerds. I'm your host, Bryson Harvey, and joining me, as always, Luke Smith. Hey, Luke. Hey, Bryson. How's it going? It's going all right. Uh, It's been an interesting week of college basketball, um, you know, with a little turkey on the side. So Mm. um, definitely some interesting stuff happening this past week. Did you get to watch some hoops and eat some turkey? I did. I watched, I ate some turkey and I watched all of our predictions be wrong. Like almost every single one of them that we said last week, I saw us be wrong. Almost 100%. (laughs) Yeah. Mm -hmm. Nope. That happens quite a bit. And, uh, you know, at this point I'm just kind of used to being wrong and it's just sort of a happy accident if we're right. But But you know what? We're man enough to admit, okay, you don't have to watch out for Notre Dame. Uh, UCLA was not going to be Gonzaga. But they did lose to Duke, so. Yeah, well, again, I think this season's going to be up and down anyway, so, you know, yeah. th- again, this is why we don't gamble on the sport. That's exactly um, right. Because... Please don't bet off of the things we say unless you enjoy being poor. Yeah, and, and if you do, you know, there are some other great donation places that you should give to. Yeah. Um, anyway, uh, before we get too deep into basketball conversation i just want to bring up a couple of things for our listeners if you haven't found our blog or our our website um, it's basketballwithglasses.wordpress.com and luke has posted some great historical bracketology articles which will come in handy in march but they're very interesting to look at now uh, just within the context of what's happening with some of the games that we're watching and and we'll dive a little bit into that in in this episode but if you get a chance he's put in a lot of time and luke would you oh, say yeah. more than adequate uh time spent in spreadsheets looking at i, I would say an embarrassing amount of time <laughs> embarrassing <laughs> I, don't is another admit, adjective. I don't want to admit how much time i put into this <laughs> well for free know. for, for free. free yes yes right now this is this is free content for for all of our our listeners and readers, but um, on that note, uh, please subscribe if you if you aren't already. It it helps uh, our numbers. It shows that hey, people care about our our podcast. Um, I don't want to shill on our episode every single on our podcast every single week, um, but you know it does help to share with friends if you think it's interesting or entertaining or just you know you like to point and laugh at people who make very poor mm-hmm. uh, predictions. Um, whatever brings you to the podcast, we are grateful that you're here and listening and that you care what we have to say and in, in the slightest. So please subscribe, um, rate, review, all of those things that I'm sure other podcasts have down on what you need to do. But uh, for us, we just would like that, that you listen and, and, and that matters to us. Um, speaking of listening, uh, this week um, I'm going to be launching uh, within the same feed uh, some Team Tracker episodes. So these will be specially noted um, in the title. Uh, and so with each episode, there'll be a mini episode of uh, 15 to 20 minutes where I'll kind of dive deep on a, on a specific team in the, in the top 25 or maybe even outside, depending on where we're at, and uh, just kind of do a, a, a dive into their scouting report, what they look like. So the first team up is going to be Gonzaga. Uh, so we're going to take a deep dive with that or I will, um, and and hopefully gain some insight. Uh, spoiler, I think they're pretty good. Um, but, maybe a little. Yeah. <laughs> but um, also trying to point out some deficiencies and maybe maybe highlight some, some matchups that might be problematic for them. 
uh, which brings us to our, our first segment, New Frames, uh, with, with really a basic question, Luke. Will, will the real number one please stand up? Yeah. And that team is? <laughs> that team is Duke. That team is Duke. And actually, you, you know, Bryson and I, we talked after Gonzaga beat Duke. We kind of talked about who we thought would be number one. Um, I pointed out Duke just because I have a blind spot for Purdue. I just forgot they existed because <laughs> I'm so biased against them for some reason. But Bryson was like, yeah, it's probably going to be Purdue. And I was like, yeah, you're right. It's probably going to be Purdue. But little did we know, Duke was just going to jump right over them, leapfrog the mighty Big Ten. But it is Duke. I mean, are we really that surprised? Not really. And especially after beating number one and being an undefeated number five, it's not that big of a leap. But I will say, I, I, I really think that um, Purdue has the talent to play with Duke. And I will just say, I don't think that there are many teams out there that have that level of talent. To be yeah. honest, Gonzaga didn't have that level of talent, and they're one of the most talented teams in the country. In fact, they're number three. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, not everybody, a lot of people can have good players, but not everybody can have the best players. And it, it seems like those players are mostly on Duke's basketball team in yeah. the highest concentration, at least. Yeah. Uh, they Their guards are unreal. Um, and it just seems like, any of them can step up any given night. Um, Keels, uh, Moore, I mean, you name it. Um, they, it just seems like no matter who they turn to, and even some of their bench guys really played well um, coming off uh, the bench against Gonzaga in, in a way that was actually fairly shocking. Well, yeah, I mean, you have to give them credit because Benchero was light. I mean, it looked like he was going to have 50 points. In the first half, and then you know he forgot to eat his, ate some bananas before the game, and he had to sit out for a little while. But <laughs> yeah, I think I said his uh, his Gatorade nil deal didn't get finalized, no, so they forgot no. the the Gatorade gummies. <laughs> they uh, totally did. But the the bench, you know, every the, everyone else on the team really stood up, and you could tell Gonzaga wanted to, wanted to put it away when when Banchero was on was out of the game, but they they stood their ground and. And they held up and, and they wound up winning. So, Yeah, no, for sure. Um, but just the way he got his 20, I think he had 21 points. All of his points came in the first half. Yeah. Am I right? So yeah. I, I just it was an unreal performance from him. You could tell that he wanted the, the moment. He knew he was going up against Chet. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was billed as a one-on-one kind of deal. Um, and he just played flat out better in the first half. Uh, and if not for, you know, the cramping that you know, sort of caused the problem in the second half. I mean, we, you and I talked about this. I, I think we both think it's a double-digit victory for Duke if, if, yeah. he's, if he's healthy in the second I, half. I mean, not only is Benchero good, but he was, he was playing out of his mind. Like, yeah. you get a really good player on a really good night, and there's really nothing you can do about it, you know? Right. And so, I mean, I wouldn't have been surprised if he had 40 for real, like a legitimate 40 and – 15 or something and Duke won going away. And, you know, maybe it wound up being like a 10 point deficit or 10 point decision, but yeah, but you know, it really wasn't that close. It, they were really helped. Gonzaga was, they were on the ropes when he went out. So yeah. 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 No, they were, I mean, they were pretty much ready to be done. Um, and to be honest, 
it, it wasn't like Gonzaga had a bad plan. And it wasn't as though Gonzaga played poorly. Um, you know, they shot, uh, you know, relatively subpar for them from three. Uh, but they pretty much got whatever they wanted, uh, especially when they were out in transition and they caught Duke mm-hmm. uh, in transition defense. The the passing, let me just say, Nimhart and Bolton yeah. are legitimate guards that uh, are doing a more than adequate job of replacing Jalen Suggs, which was my concern coming into the season. I just didn't know if Nimhart and Bolton would be enough but they have proven to be more than capable of, you know, carrying them. Uh, Nimhart had an off game for sure with, uh, you know, six points, 0 for 3 from 3, um, and six turnovers. You know, that's pretty uncharacteristic for Nimhart. But, you know, overall, I thought that they played fairly well, especially given the level of talent and athleticism on the other side uh, with Duke. Um, yeah, shouts Mark, to Julian Strother, by the way. That guy, that guy played awesome. That guy played yeah. awesome in that game. Like, I was like, who's that? Yes. <laughs> I, had to, it, honestly, I had to double check. If, if Strother, which he improved so much, um, he got very little playing time last year as a freshman. Um, and in fact, you know, his numbers were kind of okay. I mean, he was your normal average. I'm, I'm a good player that plays at Gonzaga. Um, but he, you know, so far this year, he has really stepped up into a role um, as sort of that, to me, he, he kind of reminds me of what Nimhard played last year yeah. in that, you know, sort of spark score that, you know, if you need that third option, he can be the guy. Um, and so that's been, uh, I would say, encouraging for Mark Few. Um, but you know, and, and honestly, he probably would have been the MVP of the game if not for Mark Williams. Mark Williams was yeah. unreal for Duke. He really was. I, I mean, he was the, you know, he, he had six blocks um, and just it seemed like he was everywhere defensively and then had the energy to run the floor and and be there for, for you know, the pick and roll or just the rim runs that he made just spectacular. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you can see why people have been saying that, that, that center is going to be the number one pick in the NBA draft. Oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. That was, (laughs) that was the other team's guy, not the guy who owned the game. My bad. I I got that backwards. Yeah. No watching Chet get a forearm to the, to the chest and get shoved under the basket while Benchero finished the, the, the layup at, you know, well, I it, mean, we'll, we'll get into this later, but I did I did point out to Bryson during the game. I, I, I wanted to see a uh, a uh, montage of all the times that Chet Holmgren got helped off the floor because it had to it would have to be like 10 to 15 minutes long. The guy was getting picked up constantly. Yeah. And and in ways that weren't traditional ways of like it wasn't like he was standing in for a charge. It wasn't like it was. It was Verigel levels of being picked up off the floor. It was Anderson Verigel levels of being picked up off the floor. It it was pretty rough. Uh, and 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 the other thing that I don't know, it's just striking, is you see each joint and the way it bends, <laughs> and and yeah. as you know, when you're getting pulled up, it's. It, I mean, it's just you see the bone and the tendons flexing. It's just, mm-hmm. it's it's a very disturbing sight if you haven't seen. 
Uh, and we saw it a lot. And so I guess that's yeah. why it's kind of seared in my brain. I, I will say the dude, I'm like, credit where credit's due. The guy put up some good stats. He he had a pretty good game. I mean, he he wasn't, uh, he's above Scal Labissier level, I will have to say, at least so far. <laughs> I, I, I'll have to put him a, at least a tier above Scal at this point. He's talented. And so this is where I think, for me, watching Duke Gonzaga made me think, Maybe this is a Durant Odin 2.0, mm-hmm. um, but we'll get into that comparison in, in a little bit. If we flip back over to our conversation of being who's number one, I think Gonzaga, because of their schedule, um, they're going to be able to run it. And I think they've got a shot to kind of stay at one, maybe two losses all year. Um, the other team that we mentioned, Purdue, has been is undefeated so far. But the third team, I guess the fourth team, but you know, with Duke in there as well, but the fourth team that has gotten some buzz that I wanted to know your opinion on was Baylor. Yeah. Thoughts? I think Baylor's ceiling this year is probably very similar to uh, 2017 Villanova. You know, and they they lost some pieces, but they brought back some. And I, I think that Baylor lost more important pieces last year than 2016 Villanova did going into the next season. But, I, I mean, it's I think – I don't know. I haven't looked at Baylor's schedule. Let me pull it up. I I don't know if it's sustainable to them for them. I mean, maybe their system has gotten to the point where they're just – I mean, they did beat the snot out of Michigan State. They've, they've got Villanova. I would bring up the fact that they're going to play Oregon, but Oregon's terrible. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I held that right. as long as I could. Iowa State's pretty tough for some reason. I mean, maybe maybe they go down. But if you look at schedules, I, I could see them losing to Villanova in a couple weeks. But still, I mean, that's one loss. I, yeah. I, it, I, don't I don't think they have – I don't think they have the resume to be put over Gonzaga or Duke. Do they have the talent? I mean, that's what I question yeah, when when too. I see other um, publications, media outlets saying, "Hey, you know, don't forget, don't forget about Baylor, defending yeah. champion, yada yada." It's like, yeah. okay, cool. I mean, I, I mean, get it, but you, the heart and soul of that team is gone, unless you include Matthew Meyer, who has been there for eight thousand years, and he yeah. might win the JJ Reddick. I've been here, or Car- was it Carlos Boozer? Who, which Duke? It was uh, after? several. It was Chris Duhon because I believe oh, he was Chris there Duhon. in the '98 game and the 2006 team. I think <laughs> he was there for like nine years. Yeah. So anyway, uh, Myers is. Um, he was born in the previous century compared to most of the players that he's yeah. playing with, just for the record. Um, so, uh, you know, he's still around and he is definitely a, a big part of this. But, you know, they're they're rated really high in Ken Vaughn. And I think a lot of that is carryover. Plus, you play some terrible teams. They have and played the, no one besides Michigan State. I mean, this and, is a pretty... And Michigan State isn't even, to me, uh, you know, that elite level tier. Yeah, like top 30. I, yeah, I, I mean, I see that. But I do think that Baylor, it has the well-oiled machine part down of being a perennial top 15 team. And so, you know, they should beat those kind of teams. And I, to be honest, I'm, I'm not... I'm not a huge believer in Michigan State, um, but 
I do think that, you know, they, to me, they, they've had some luck on their side, just in terms of, you know, finish, they beat UConn by four, they beat Loyola Chicago by two. Mm-hmm. If you flip those two, two games, now they're what, three they're and three, three yes. and four, actually three and four. Yeah. So, so. I, you know, I, I could make some arguments against that win too. Mm-hmm. Um, well, we'll know against Villanova and we'll, I think we'll figure that out soon enough. I, it will just be interesting to see how they how they're able to line up against elite talent. I just I don't see it, you know. Um, but they're they're good enough, and and to me this is where I would say UCLA is better in that they have some top shelf talent that could carry them in a game potentially. But they're in that same tier to me as as a UCLA, yeah. a, a well oiled machine that's going to be efficient and beat most teams most nights. But when it comes to the very tippy top, I just don't see that level of talent on that I, squad. I would actually put them below the UCLA. I would, I probably, I don't know who I would have in my top 10, but I don't think I, they'd be in my top eight. I would probably put Villanova over them mm-hmm. just because, especially looking at their schedule, they're just, they've played nobody. Um, yeah. And they've beat them all. But I mean, of course. Um, but how, how about this? Let's go back to Duke and Gonzaga. So Gonzaga's schedule still, they scheduled like they wanted to play good teams this year. Uh, mm-hmm. They've still got Alabama who wins against every team that isn't coached by Rick Pitino and <laughs> right. Texas Tech. And then they've got a conference that is kind of tough. And um, Duke, who are they going to lose to? I mean, it's going to have to be somebody just coming out of some unexpected. I mean, I don't think it's going to be Ohio State. Well, let's go, let's go through Ken Prom. So the second best team in the ACC is Virginia Tech, who's lost twice uh, to Xavier and um, I'm blanking on oh, Memphis. They lost to Memphis. So, you know, two decent teams, but uh, no team that looks – like Duke, Florida State, uh, Louisville, Notre Dame, Clemson, in that order, Virginia, then North Carolina, according to Ken Palm. So, yeah, um, I don't see it. I don't see the loss in their future. I mean, I don't. this doesn't seem like the Duke uh, Duke year where they're going to lose at home. I mean, they did you see during the Gonzaga game where they were showing the foul treble and like 10 of Gonzaga's guys had either three or four fouls? I mean, that's classic Duke. Yes. So um, I don't think they're going to lose at home. They've got Ohio State, and then they play a bunch of nobodies until conference play. They've got Virginia Tech at home, Clemson away. They're not losing there. I, I, I guess the next real, unless you consider Ohio State a potential loss, um, New Year's Day against Notre Dame, that's an away game. Um, I mean, maybe, maybe, uh, you know. Maybe. I mean, they might not lose until – February, you know they play at North Carolina in February. They're they're not. I mean, North Carolina is obviously not close to their level, but I mean it's a rivalry game. It, I don't know. Yeah, I, they could I, be they could be one for a long time. Yeah, I don't see it. I mean, I really don't see them losing. Um, if you look at the Ken Palm rating ranking of conferences, they are in a virtual tie with the Big East for mm-hmm. fourth and fifth. Um, you know, with 
the Pac-12 right behind that, and that includes a Pac-12 that includes a fallen off Oregon and a you know loss yeah. of luster UCLA. So they just have the the bottom of that conference is just so bad. I mean, they're they're never going to be able to jump that because it's just. Those mm-hmm. those bottom conference those bottom teams just are going to pull them down so much. Yeah, and it feels like the West Coast Conference with Gonzaga. I mean, Gonzaga is obviously carrying a large weight, but it feels like they have kind of taken that role of like the old Missouri Valley or the Horizon League that used to be really really mm-hmm. good, um, and now they're kind of that they're they're the top tier mid major conference and. You know, Gonzaga is going to have to go through a number twenty-two BYU. And Ken BYU Palm, is good, man. Thirty-sixth uh, San Francisco, thirty-seventh St. Mary's, uh, and you know those top four compared to the ACCs: Virginia Tech, Florida State, Louisville, which is thirty-ninth, and Notre Dame is the fifth team at forty. You know that's comparable, um, it really just is. in terms of top top teams in the conference. So. You know, if we're looking long term, I think Duke has the edge over Gonzaga, despite the fact that we think of Gonzaga as a mid-major team. They just have an easier Duke has an easier schedule. They really do. Well, uh, you know, I think that we've we've kind of gotten into this idea of which team is number one. Let's go under the magnifying glass and take a look at who we think the best lineups in America are. And for this exercise, we're using Evan Mia's uh, beautiful, beautiful website uh, and diving in on the lineups that are and the combinations that are most effective based on uh, the, I believe, and, and there's a lot of ex- explanation on, on sort of how this works, but they... Uh, he, Evan looks at sort of the adjusted strength of opposing players faced by each lineup, um, kind of taking a look at the Bayesian performance rating, uh, which is a statistical metric. Very interesting stuff. Great website. I believe it got a revamp over the offseason, so it's really slick now. Um, so anyway, we looked at lineups with three players, uh, because that's fairly common. I don't know. Generally, I think of a big three in a lineup. Yeah. Bumped it out to 50 possessions so that we had a pretty good sample size. So these three players had to play 50, possess- 50 possessions offensively and defensively together and just try to see, you know, out of those top teams and, and out of some of the just, I mean, we picked a few different ways to look at it. And, and Luke, I'll let you kick it off. What did you see? What were some of those lineups that stood out to you as maybe being one of those elite tier uh, lineups? Well, the first thing that sticks out to me is Purdue is the owner of, I don't know, 10 of the top 50. (laughs) Yeah. And Arizona has quite a few. Um, I think it's notable that LSU is present. LSU has a couple three-man lineups in the top 10. Um Texas's three-man group being number one kind of makes me wonder if we have enough data here. <laughs> yeah, they. I mean, that lineup, which is Andrew Jones, Mitchell, and Ramey, uh, they have an adjusted team efficiency margin of 95.9. Uh, 
meaning they are 95.9 points better per 100 possessions <laughs> than uh, the other team when they're together. Yeah. But they've they've only played 50 offensive possessions right at that baseline. Um, I was interested to kind of see. Uh, to me, I was looking at some of those top tier teams mm-hmm. um, and where their lineup stood. Um, so if you look up Gonzaga's, you know, big three, their big three are Bolton, Nimhart, and Watson, followed yeah. by Nimhart, Strother, and Watson. And it's not until you get to that third best line uh, combination, which is Nimhart, Timmy, and Watson. So really between that, what that shows me is Nimhart is really important for this team and that guard play very important for this team well their best players well they're big guys i should say i mean timmy is unquestionably their best player he just he's not he doesn't create he's not an offensive creator at least on the ball an on ball offensive creator so um i mean it would stand to reason that uh it would be the the ball handlers that would kind of be more towards the top and the if a high offense if a high efficiency shooting Yes, right. Um, and then if I look, when I looked at Duke, their top three lineups included Roach and and Mark Williams. And it's not like they only played a few possessions. They've played each of those lineups had 180 plus possessions. Mm-hmm. Um, and to me, that actually backed up what we saw against Gonzaga. He was everywhere, and I think that uh, he he being Mark Williams, um, is special. Uh, I've never seen a player show this level of growth from a freshman to sophomore season in, in, in this way where it's just unreal. The level of he crashes the offensive glass. He's got the 15th best offensive rebounding rate in the country. And, and, and somehow, able to you know patrol the paint defensively he is getting called for fewer than five fouls per 40 minutes which is good for a big guy who's especially going to go out and have the seventh highest block percentage in the country Uh, it's just you know his growth i think is the difference you know they added some great talent at duke including paulo but it's very clear that Mark Williams is a a key reason why uh, they are in the mix this year. Well, that's the difference between Duke this year and Duke's like last year. You know, I'm I'm not comparing um, Paolo to what was the guy's name last year that left early and didn't get drafted. Johnson. Yeah. The Johnson, something Johnson. See, I don't even remember his name, but he was a high, he was a highly recruited player who, uh, he just he quit halfway through the season. And I'm, oh, Jalen Johnson, yes. Jalen Johnson, yeah. Uh, and you know he didn't. The team around him wasn't that good, and you can only get so far with a good player um, without any good supporting players. And and then you have this Duke team that has an incredible player surrounded by some very very good players. Yeah. It just, it if Jalen Johnson was half as good as Paolo. Um, they could have been something. But mm-hmm. to be honest, I don't know that it would have because Wendell Moore, Mark Williams, and Jeremy Roach were all on the team last year. And and they weren't the same player that they are now. And so 
I think that there's some player development that's happening, which it's actually refreshing to kind of see that Duke can still do that. And they, yeah. they don't just have to, you know, throw out bags of cash in order to, to score talent, no, but they, they can actually develop it. They don't do that at Duke, Bryson. <laughs> <laughs> well, we won't go into what else they do. But um, anyway, uh, I thought that that three-man lineup was interesting. Um, and yeah. I, I reserved a little time here for us to talk about our two favorite teams. Yes. Um, so what did you see in Kentucky? And I'll talk a little bit about what I saw in West Virginia. Okay. So um, with the three-man lineups, with 50 possessions or less, uh, the for Kentucky, I mean, Sheboy is in all of them. And so, Severe Wheeler is in, is in a lot of them too. And that's you could totally see that because one of them – um, is the distributor who averages almost 10 assists a game, and the other guy averages almost 20 rebounds a game. So, I mean, obviously they're going to be on any efficiency chart. Um, Davion Mintz is up there, which isn't surprising to me as someone who watched him have to play with that awful team last year and be the only bright spot. But uh, I was surprised to see Collins at the top and the the the, the – Top lineup, top three main lineup for Kentucky was Sheboy, Ty Ty Washington, and Collins. And the reason I'm surprised to see him isn't because I think he's a bad player. It's just he's kind of all over the place. He's definitely a freshman in the way he plays, but he impacts the game when he has a good play. It's a good, like it's good. I, I remember the first play I saw him make. He blocked a three point shot, went down and totally bricked a three of his own before the team even went down the went down the court so i mean he's got potential once he learns how to play the game the right. way cal wants him to it doesn't I'm, I'm surprised to see him up there right now um so that, that's interesting yeah and i think overall when i looked at kentucky's uh lineups um the the person that kind of stood out to me um or the the fact that stood out to me was it looked like their their best offensive efficient lineup uh, included um, some players that I don't really think of as being super offensive um, superstars. Mm-hmm. When you're looking at Mints, I mean, Wheeler, I kind of see, and, and Sheway is just great at pounding the glass. And so maybe that's where it happens. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, I sort of see Tati as being that guy or Brooks. Um, and Wheeler, I think is, is developing into that, but I don't know. It was just, it was a little surprising to me. Um, let me say one thing about this. Uh, you don't see a certain player on here, Jacob Toppin. And that is probably because he hasn't played the past few games, but I wouldn't be surprised to see him show up on some of these lists just because he's the kind of guy who just is in there doing little things that nobody notices. Uh-huh. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised if after he after he's able to play more, if he winds up in some of these lists towards yeah. the top. Yep, I could see that. Um, really, uh, one of the so when you crank down the possessions to about twenty um, as the threshold, uh, so they have to play twenty possessions together. Um, Toppin, Oscar and Ty Ty hmm. combine for a lineup that produces 55 points per 100 possessions, which is 
pretty outstanding. And to me, that's where Toppin's value is, is on the defensive end. Yeah. Now, they are pretty average when it comes to offensive numbers. They're only 100 uh, points per possession, which is actually pretty weak. But, um, you know, that adds to a pretty large efficiency margin still. Yeah. So when you when you lower it to 22, you see Dante Allen is in the top five. (laughs) Um, Uh, Is that a message? You trying to tell Coach Cal something? I I would like to see Dante not go 0 for 8 from three before I want him to start. But I do think he's a good player. I think he's worth some time. Um, Well, for my squad, which struggled mightily against Eastern Kentucky uh, and their three point barrage. Um, which was just unreal. Uh, they battled back, they won. So I guess that, that counts for something. You know, this team is a whole mixed match of just different player types. They've got Isaiah Cottrell, who's a seven-footer who plays outside, who can shoot the three, kind of skinnier, weaker, not as much of a post player. And then they've got two bench guys, transfers that came in to replace... Um, Oscar's absence and Derek Culver who left to go pro um, somewhere, not the NBA. Uh, And, you know, they got diamond Kerrigan and blank on the other dude's name, Polly Polycap. How could I forget that name? Um, Yeah. Polycap. Yeah. So they got those two guys in. Um, They also added a transfer to replace Deuce McBride and, and Malik Curry. Poor one out for Deuce. Yeah. I miss that guy. Me too. He, I saw he scored his first basket for the Knicks the other night, and yeah. it just made me a little sad. Um, but, you know, so they're trying to replace a lot of stuff, but they also returned, you know, a, a, a solid core of Jalen Bridges, a 6'8 wing. Uh, he's from Fairmont. Uh, really athletic, um, can shoot the three. He's definitely a 3 and D kind of guy. Uh, Sean McNeil, who transferred from Bellarmine uh, mm-hmm. as the sharpshooter uh, whom Kentucky fans wanted desperately on their team last year. Yep. Uh, and uh, Taz Sherman, who was a, I believe he was a Juco transfer, who is now averaging uh, near or above 20 points. I haven't seen what his most recent numbers are. but So that was the core of the team, was really those three. And then Gabe Osaboyan, who is a transfer from Arkansas, who is just like the perfect, if Bob Huggins could like Frankenstein, his favorite player of all time, it would be Gabe Osaboyan. He draws like four four charges a game, scores like four points, maybe two points, and gets eight rebounds. And it's just always on the floor diving for loose balls. I mean, the guy is just the heart and soul of the team, quite honestly. Um, so I found these numbers very interesting. The number one offensive three-man unit for WVU this year is Malik Curry, Sean McNeil, and Gabe Osaboyan, who can't shoot at all. Mm-hmm. Um, so, But what he does do is something that um, I would draw a comparison to Gordon Hayward, not on the same level, obviously, but Gordon Hayward for the Celtics, when he was still with, with Boston, he's kind of the glue guy. So he's not going to score, but when you throw when you threw the ball inside to Gordon Hayward for the, for the Celtics, for example, he found the next guy who was open, found the next guy who was open who got the points. And that's kind of what Gabe does. He knows where to throw the ball. He knows how to 
how to move it where it needs to go. And that basketball IQ on the offensive end, just playing out of the high post, doesn't mean he's going to score a lot, but it does mean he knows the right play to make. So I just I found that interesting. Um, and, you know, the other part that I think points out a lot here is they're, the player that's in all of these lineups, the top five lineups, is Malik Curry. Mm-hmm. Um, right now, Kedrian Johnson uh, is the point guard who is starting for West Virginia um, but it's kind of starter name only. And at this point, Malik Curry should probably be getting more playing time. He's a lefty uh, from Old Dominion. And he's he's kind of the crafty lefty. He's able to get into the paint. And he has some ability to uh, take some offensive pressure off of Taz Sherman, who just basically like feels like he needs to go out and score 25 for WV to even have a chance. But Sean McNeil's been ice cold. He was one for eight against EKU and one for six against uh, whoever they played before that, Clemson, I think. Um, He's been ice cold. Jalen Bridges, uh, since the Marquette game, he's been ice cold. So, you know, hopefully with time, some of the shooters, shooters will turn around. But for right now, that's just sort of the state of West Virginia basketball. So thank you for allowing me to indulge. So now moving on uh, to our next segment, let's take a look at colored glasses. And so for this, I I need to get out my reading glasses and and take in the scouting report um, that was put together by Mike Schmitz by ESPN. So for those of you who are new or or maybe forgotten, colored glasses is our segment where we might have a different colored lens on looking at a situation than the traditional mainstream media. And so in this this came in this case we're going to look at the Chet versus Paolo conversation and, and kind of just I'm going to pull out some nuggets from Mike Schmitz and I'll just allow you to react. So I'm teeing them up and you can say whatever you'd like to. Um, so this is the opening line of of Mike Schmitz's conclusion from his ESPN.com article NBA draft number 1 pick debate Chet Holmgren or Paolo Banquero. Here we go. I've long considered Holmgren the best prospect in this class, and while I've been blown away by Bancaro's NBA-ready game and skill level, I'm a firm believer Holmgren should be the number one pick if the draft were today. Thoughts? Um, I believe, what's that one guy from ESPN who loves the foreign players, who always scout out the foreign players like crazy? Chad, uh, was it? Uh, uh, oh, it's a... Uh... Fran Frischilla? No, that's not the guy I was thinking of. Uh, there was a Chad guy, Ford? Chad, I think it might be Chad Ford. Or Hollinger. Was it Hollinger? Anyway, there was a guy <laughs> back in 2003 who tried to convince teams to pick Darko Milicic over LeBron James. He thought he was that good. Um, that's what I hear when I hear this. I hear, oh, yeah, well, you know, this guy's obviously the better player, but we should pick this other guy who's worse, <laughs> who could possibly be as good down the line. I just, I don't understand the logic. Also, I'm, I'm questioning whether, um, Mike paid much attention to the game because they literally had one-on-one matchup. Like they were one, they were, Chet was matched up against Paolo and Paolo took him to the school. He left him laying on the ground because Paolo's like three inches shorter and probably weighs 200 pounds more than him. So, um yeah a solid package let's just say to be generous let's just say i came away with the game with a different conclusion (laughs) 
And that might be the understatement of the year. Maybe. Um, so in his next paragraph, he said, with, with all that being said, I'm not sure Holmgren is getting the type of credit he deserves as a truly elite prospect, largely because he doesn't have a prototypical NBA body. Okay, first what of all, you? <laughs> first of all, he's being called the the consensus number one draft pick. How is that not getting enough credit? Second of all, he saying he doesn't have a prototypical NBA body is like saying I don't have a prototypical NBA body. Okay, <laughs> I'm five foot nine and I'm very out of shape. So. He doesn't have a prototypical NBA body because most of the people in the NBA, you can't see every bone in their body. Um, <laughs> and, you know, like, let me say this, Chet, we, we talk a lot of negative about Chet and we've obviously made it clear over the course of this podcast that we do not believe in his NBA potential at the least. He's, he's turning into like a decent college player. Like I, I don't see him being, I don't think he's a bad college player. I don't, I will I won't go so far as to not call him a bust yet because we're only like six games into the season, but would I take him on my team? Absolutely. Absolutely. I would not turn down Chet Holmgren to be on my team. Would I draft him at number one? No, I would not. Even if I'm drafting for a college basketball season. Yeah. I would pick so many more players ahead of him, even on his own team. I'd take, I'd take Timmy Nemhart. And probably Strother over over Chet at this point. Now, that's not what the NBA is drafting on. Um, the NBA has different uh, parameters that they're looking for, and they are trying to find a unicorn. And so, with that, Mike Schmitz likes to add in referencing a former unicorn quote. He's far tougher than a prospect like Porzingis ever was. And you mm. could argue that Holmgren is even more advanced as a shot blocker and shooter than Mobley was as a freshman. Okay. Okay. <laughs> First of all, Chris Stapps is from Eastern, Re- Eastern Europe. I mean, the dude, don't call the guy not tough. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I know he's talking basketball, but never badmouth Eastern Europe. Have we learned nothing? Second of all, yeah, it could be argued that he's a better shooter than Mobley. It could be argued. I could argue that I'm a better or shot blocker. Sorry, <laughs> than Mobley. I could argue that I'm a better shot blocker than Mobley too, but that does not make it true. Okay, <laughs> saying the words "you could be argued" does not make it a good argument, and yeah, that would be like... a faulty argument. <laughs> yeah, poor logic. Um, no, so. The thing that that was different, that is different to me in watching Porzingis, or what, not Porzingis, watching Chet, um, is, so, for reference, he, he is currently one of the, he's the only player in college basketball history, and granted, this is through five, five games, mm-hmm. six, seven games? Seven, I think. Seven games. He's the only one in history to average at least 20 points, 10 rebounds, five assists, and five blocks. Per 40 minutes. Per 40 minutes. He doesn't do that in a game. It's per 40 minutes. Per 40 minutes. But so to me, when I see him blocking shots, it's um, against really he's racked up his numbers against the poor competition or the people who um, think that they can challenge him 
at seven foot tall and 115 pounds. And they think they can get it over top of him. And he's just too tall because his arms are super long. And it's not like what I see Mobley doing and what he did at USC, which was rotate over from the weak side and basically cover two men at once and come over and still get the block. Yes. And that's the difference. Yes. What Chet has is people challenging him and not realizing, oh, he has arms that go to the ceiling. Exactly. And... And those blocks to me are different than Evan Mobley leaping across the lane and blocking a shot while simultaneously grabbing the rebound. Yes. That was the kind of stuff that we saw Evan Mobley do that I think is just different. That was Anthony Davis as well. Anthony Davis, when he was at Kentucky, he wouldn't block the shot. He would keep it in play and it would would turn into transition points. That. The year after Anthony Davis played, Nerlens Noel came in, and people thought, oh, he might be a better defender than Anthony Davis. And he blocked a lot of shots, but he swatted them out of bounds. The ball did not stay in play. It's different. When I used to play my – when my son was four and I used to play him on the little indoor hoop we have, I could block all of his shots because I was twice as tall as him. That did not make me a good shot blocker. And now I'm not comparing. I'm not comparing my skills to Chet's. I'm just doing that's exaggeration to make a point. Uh, I, I completely agree with you. He's blocking shots because he's super tall. His arms are super long, and he does have enough uh, uh, athleticism and IQ to know where to be. Because we've seen a lot of really bad seven footers who can't do anything, even block shots. Right. So I mean, we got to give him a little bit of credit. But he's not on the level of an all-time great defensive player for college uh he's yeah, just no. he's just not and and you know um they well, I'll, I'll let you keep going i think you you there's more to the article i don't want to <laughs> i don't want to jump ahead there is uh, i'll just close it out with this this final line quote it's harder to find players in his mold especially with his no-nonsense approach to the game mm. I don't really, to me yeah. you know what's really hard to find lebron james yes you know what's really hard to find? A LeBron James 6'9 freight train that can get to the bucket at will, can step back and shoot the ball from the outside and just dominate a, a team and move them forward. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's what Paolo is. You have playmaking. You have shot making. You have size. You have ball handling ability. And you have basketball IQ. That's what Paolo has and in a frame that, like you said, is LeBron James-esque. Yeah. I mean, I'm not saying he's going to be LeBron James. What I'm saying is he's that he mold has, of player. He has, he's in that mold. Yes. And, you know, I just, I, I have not, you know, he doesn't have LeBron's passing IQ. I'll give you that. Well, he's a freshman yeah. at Duke. Um, and, you know, that was one of LeBron's gifts early on. But I also think Paolo can score better than LeBron could at his age. So, yeah, you know, you, you, you win some, you lose some on that. But to me, I would rather have. And, and the other part of this, too, is that I feel like in the NBA, we have a lot of. The, I mean, he's calling out Porzingis as a less tough version of, of Chet. Um but I and and bringing up Evan Mobley, Mobley was like the sixth or seventh pick. I mean, he was lottery, but he's not like a generational talent Mobley's, at this point. He's really he's. I understand why he compared him 
to Mobley because they're both kind of skinny, even though Chet makes Mobley look overweight. But uh, <laughs> like he had too many Twinkies. Yeah. But I, I, the, the point stands that, that I feel like that he kind of squashes his own point here. That it's harder to find players in his mold when he just called out Porzingis, who doesn't play for the Mavs anymore, and Mobley, who is just now ascending as like the seventh best player. Like he just called out two players in the last five years. Show me the last player that looked and scored the same in the same mold as Ben Caro. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just, I, I can't you know, tell maybe, you five. I can't tell you five guys over the past 10 years who could have had 20 that effortlessly in the first half of a, of a college game that had that kind of atmosphere and those kind of stakes. Like yeah. against the best his team strength, of the past two years, basically. So yeah, his strength to the bucket reminds me of LeBron. His, his smoothness outside reminds me of Durant. And you're going to tell me that, Porzingis and Mobley are the comps on the other side. I mean, yeah, I, I just I don't know, man. <laughs> I would draft Paolo over Porzingis today. Like, if you made me pick one for my NBA team that we had to play tomorrow, I would pick Paolo over over Porzingis. So I'm definitely <laughs> going to pick him over over Chet. The one thing I didn't, the one other thing I want to point out, he said in the articles, he talked about how um, playing alongside somebody like Drew Timmy was. Uh, hindering uh, Chet's stats, basically. Yeah, hindering his protection. I would. I actually think it's the exact opposite. I think playing with somebody as good as Timmy, as smart of a passer as Timmy, and someone who can bail him out um, on the defensive end and the offensive end, and like Timmy is helping his stats. Um, I think it's yes. giving him a role that he's filling well instead of relying on him to do things that he cannot do yet. I couldn't think of a better teammate to have than a 6'10", scoring, playmaking, passing big man. Yes. Like Drew Timmy. Um, now, Timmy, to me, and this is a side note, looked overmatched. And to me, that's sort of what his life will look like in the NBA when he gets there um, against Duke. He just couldn't handle the size and athleticism combination that he was going up against. Now, he wasn't. Um, completely rendered helpless, but he also was not nearly as effective. But the one part of his game that did translate was he was able to find cutters. He was able to find Chet on mm-hmm. interior passing because he is amazing at that. That is his best skill um, that will translate is interior passing, which has basically led to Chet being set up for some easy, easy layups. So to me, that's kind of where we're at with where I'm at with it is, Timmy helps him. In fact, I would say, you know, for those per 40 numbers, without Timmy, he's probably looking at, you know, maybe he gets to 20 points, but he's getting to 20 points because he's got to put up more shots yeah. and he's going to be missing more. He's be way um, less efficient. It, way less efficient. And so um, that per 40 number probably drops a little bit um, just because it's based on efficiency. Um, so anyway... Paolo looked like an NBA all-star. I mean, I know I'm not saying he would go out and be one tomorrow if he played in the NBA, but you know, the article talks about being NBA ready. It that always, I, this always bugged me about, <laughs> about scouting reports. It's like, well, yeah, this guy's NBA ready, but this guy has more potential. 
well, what are you looking for? You know, like, <laughs> don't, don't you, it's, I just don't understand the argument. I, I want the guy who can like be good and I don't have to wait for him to be good. It's the hope that the other guy might be as good as the NBA ready guy. Or, I mean, I guess. or that he'll be, he might know. be better. It's like a lottery ticket, you know? It's like yeah. if somebody's going to hand you $1,000, you can have this lottery ticket. It's like, um, I'll take the $1,000. Thanks. So, yeah. yeah, I'll take the sure thing and we will deal with the consequences later because, you know, you can invest in that $1,000. Well, I so. mean, that ha- look at what happened with Luca a few years ago. Everybody was saying that Luca was, was excellent. He was NBA ready. And then who got taken over him? Uh, was it Bagley? Was it? Was it Bagley? Oh, I hope not. I think it was, though. I think it was Bagley. Yeah, it had to be, right? Man. I could see, I bet you could find an article that said, well, you know, Luca's more NBA ready, but Bagley, you got to take a guy. Like, it was. It was. It was DeAndre Ayton, Marvin Bagley, and then Luca. <laughs> oh, man. And didn't yeah. he get traded down? They traded him. For yeah, it, they they swapped picks with with uh, with Atlanta. So Atlanta was like, "No thanks, we'll take Trey Young." There's a reason yeah. Sacramento's in the lottery every single year. I'll just say that. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, anyway, I think all of those points are pretty clear. And it's not to be clear. If I had to put Chet on the team right now, I think he could be a a solid rotational player. I think he could develop into maybe the third best player on a championship team. Mm-hmm. But I think you can win with Paolo as your one. Yeah. And I think to me, that's the difference. I agree. Um, and I, so, I do think, I do think Chet is going to wind up. I think that he could not have picked a better team to join this year. No, it was like Gonzaga was tailor made for him or he was tailor made for Gonzaga and, and Mark view. So absolutely. Um, anyway, uh, let's go ahead and move on to our final segment, which is, future vision and and tonight is actually we have to look back to look forward so um luke you posted a a great article uh, this week on the research that kind of showed what seed is the bare minimum in order to be a true championship contender um so why don't you tell us a little bit of the background behind and and some of your findings in in your historical bracketology research Okay, so what I did was I, I looked at I looked at seed lines without any context about what teams were the seed line, just based on how each seed line performed in the last in every tournament since 1990, and uh, obviously it, the the data backs up the um, the understanding that one seeds are the best, especially when you get to the final four. One seeds are it's hard to beat a one seed. Um, I think they won like almost 80 percent of the of the championship games. If the one seed's in it against another seed, I think they win like 80% of the time, which is pretty ridiculous. But the, what, what it really found out was that you want to be a one, two or three seed. If you can't be a one, you want to be a two or a three The since 1990, there's only been two champions that have been a four seed or lower. And it was 97 Arizona and 2014 Yukon, which is the glitch in the system. As far as I'm concerned, <laughs> But they, they mess up every single t- statistical model you run. Anytime you look at like when March comes around and you're looking at people that come up with lists like this and they're like, oh, yeah, 25 of the past 26 champions. The one that doesn't count 
is 2014 UConn. They're just they're glitching the <laughs> system. But anyway, you you want to be one of those one, two, or three seeds. They've won all but two of the past 30 or 31 championships. I think that those odds are the odds you want. Um, so what? Why don't you explain to us what we're looking at here, Bryson, for this segment? Yeah. So so with that in mind, and, and thinking of what that three seed means to be a true contender. We know that that three seed is important. And so Evan, Maya's website has, uh, or Evan Mia, I, I will work on that pronunciation, I promise. Um, the website has a, a bracketology, a seed list that's been generated. It was updated November 29th, just for posterity and for the recording, if you go back and look later. Um, so let's look at the three seeds and four seeds as currently listed on the website. So we've got the top three seed is Michigan, then Iowa, who just survived a nail-biter against Virginia tonight, Mm -hmm. um, which may not bode well. Uh, Kentucky is a three seed, and Texas Tech falls as a three seed. The four seeds are Texas, Florida, USC, and Alabama. With the next two seeds looking in at from the from the five uh, from the fifth seed spots, Arizona and Auburn. So, which of those three seeds do you see falling, and do you see any of those four seeds or five seeds rising to get yeah. to that magical three seed? Um, yeah, I don't think I was going to make the tournament as a three seed. <laughs> I, I, could, I could be wrong, but I just don't, I don't think that's going to hold. I would actually be surprised if Texas tech wound up being that high. I mean, once conference play starts, if they, if they were top two in the big 12, then they probably would be honestly, but I don't think they, I don't know. I think they might be a little overrated by the computer numbers and also i mean you got to think played no one yeah they played no one their best team that they played is prairie view a&m yeah okay so never mind yeah they're not going to be a three um florida i know they've looked good but i don't trust their coach i'm i agree with all florida fans and thinking that mike white might not be that great um going from billy donovan to mike white must have been pretty sad for florida fans (laughs) but uh they might be that team that comes out of nowhere at the beginning of the year and kind of almost breaks the top 10 and then falls off as the season goes on. I wouldn't be surprised if they're that team. I would see Alabama jumping. I think Alabama's going to probably wind up on the uh, top four seed for sure. They could jump up to the three if they win the conference again. Um, yeah. I mean, they've got, I mean, we're going to know a lot more about Alabama after this next week where they play Gonzaga this Saturday, and then the following Saturday they play Houston. Yeah. So we will know sort of where Alabama falls on this whole thing Yeah, they, really soon. They gave themselves a difficult schedule. They really did. Yeah. Um, yeah. So they might dig themselves in a hole where they don't get up to the three line. Right. I, I could see BYU doing it. They're down on the five right. line right now. I could see them getting up there. Um Especially How about the team that beat the the number the the top three seed. What about Arizona? They yeah. destroyed Michigan. They won by I believe eighteen against Michigan, and you know yeah, they haven't they lost yet. They got a little lucky. I mean, they had a close call with Wich- Wichita State, 
But uh, yeah, they won eighty to sixty-two on a neutral floor against Michigan. Yeah, um, they've got a fairly easy run through the Pac-12. I see them as being a three seed. I, I could see that totally too. If, if they can sustain it, absolutely. Mm-hmm. I mean, if they pick up a couple win or a win over UCLA in conference play and 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 play to the level that they're playing right now, I mean, you you can't deny Arizona. You know, if Arizona winds up being like a five six loss team then there's no way they won't be a top three seed right uh so so now that we've kind of hashed through this who are the four teams that you would say at this point would be a three seed if the tournament started today yes um i think kentucky well actually no i'll take that back well that's 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 project forward a little bit too okay because i think we both believe like texas is going to fall off texas tech is going to fall off yeah um, so, so, you know, looking forward based on what you've seen so far and what you anticipate happening in the future, who, who are going to be the three seeds? Okay. So, um, I'm thinking Houston, I'm, I'm trying to figure out if they have what it takes to stay a top one or two seed. I'm going to say Houston falls to a three. I don't think they fall any lower than that. I don't, it's hard to tell with big 10 teams because, Right now they're getting their butts kicked, but by the time they start playing each other, um, and every game they have is a top thirty Ken Palm game, then it starts making their resumes look good. I think Kentucky could be a three seed. They could make it higher, but I'll go I'll go Houston, Kentucky, Arizona, and I'll, I'll throw BYU in there. I think BYU, <laughs> I, I, I think if they beat Gonzaga once and they finish second in the conference, they're, they've already, you know, they've already have some pretty good wins. Um, mm-hmm. well, I mean, I guess that's debatable. It's Oregon and San Diego State. But so they, they've beaten teams around the national radar. They're ranked, I think they're top 15 right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so if they can keep that up, I could. I, if, I mean, they couldn't have any more than like four losses, I'd say. Right. But I'll just, for posterity's sake, I'm going to be wrong anyway. <laughs> We've already established <laughs> that. So uh, I'll, I'll, throw, I'll throw BYU in there. Yeah. Okay. So I actually think that this is an eight-team season for a championship, flat out. I, I don't care what seed you put them in, but the way that it's currently listed out, Gonzaga, Baylor, Purdue, Houston, Kansas, Villanova, Duke, and UCLA – those are the players for the championship. And to me, that, there's a clear tier drop when I agree. you go past those eight. Um, and maybe I would say Baylor's not going to be a one seed. And I would say and, there's a chance. They haven't played anybody yet, really, except Duke. But I would say there's a chance Kentucky could jump into that and Baylor could fall out of that. But I'm t- right there with you. I'm right yes. there with you. So that would be kind of where I think it gets muddy is I think Kentucky can develop into a two seed, but I'm going to put them as my top three seed. Mm. So um, that would give me one team. I think Michigan and Iowa are both pretenders. Now, whether they show up in Big Ten play, maybe, but I don't see it with them. Um, so I'm going to drop them out. So I've got... Uh, Kentucky. I think Texas is actually the the second best mm-hmm. Big Twelve team, and or well, I guess that's a good call. I kind of overlook them. I kind of overlook them. 
Yeah, I think that they, while they didn't show it against Gonzaga, I think they've got the talent to develop into a team that will challenge for the Big 12 championship. And if that's where they end up, you know, kind of going back and forth with Kansas, I think because of the strength of the Big 12, they're going to get maybe a seed bump, especially with the Texas brand name. So I'm going to go Kentucky, Texas, uh, I really like Alabama. I think Alabama has has the makings of a pretty good team this mm-hmm. year. Um, I you know I just don't trust Castleton with Florida. Um, don't but trust Florida. Don't trust. Florida. I, I I just I can't trust them. And if I've got to pick another SEC team, which I feel like I do, um, I'm gonna go with Alabama. And and then my other my other team is Arizona. I think they're gonna be the number yeah. two team in the Pac-12. And I think they're going to really, I think, again, they are the true uh, contender in the Pac-12, um, not USC. Um, I, I really yeah. do think it's UCLA uh, and in Arizona. And if that is the case and they kind of separate themselves I think that gives them a chance to be the best, um, another their best shot at a top three seed. So, well, Arizona my, has done what they need to do as a Pac-12 team. Is that is that is to beat good non-conference schools? Because if they had waited till conference season to turn on the the talent, then it wouldn't have mattered. I mean, the the Pac-12 is not going to get the love as a conference. Right. Other than UCLA. And that, that was what we expected Oregon to do. Exactly. Just replace replace didn't. all of my predictions with that I said Oregon, replace that with Arizona. <laughs> Just retroactively. Right. Yes. So so uh, my four teams again, Kentucky, Texas, Alabama, and Arizona. Can I change mine? I don't remember who I said. <laughs> Go ahead. I was I, gonna I ask said you. Houston, Kentucky, um, Arizona, I, I said BYU. Let me put let me put Texas in there. Texas would have to have a pretty bad season, and BYU would have to be pretty amazing in order for for voters or the committee to put BYU over Texas at three line. Yeah, it'd, it'd take a pretty big flip flop, but it's possible. So, all right, well, well, with that, I think we will wrap it up there. Uh, Luke, any final thoughts as we head into this next week? Yeah, um, if you really want to bet based on what we said, bet the opposite. That's all I got to say. <laughs> yeah, if you want to be rich, just go against our go against our picks. Um, I think that uh, this week is kind of when I looked at the schedule. There's just not a lot of good games. Yeah, it's, happening this week. It's winter it's kind break of, time. You know. Yeah, it's kind of a light a light list. Um, a, a dark horse game worth watching. Um, Memphis is at Ole Miss on Saturday. I think that could be interesting um, just to see if Memphis is going to backslide um, further. Now, again, my big, bold prediction was they wouldn't fall from the top 25. They better not lose that game. All year. But, uh, you know, that that could be a trip up for them. And I think it's going to show whether they have the mental strength to continue um, and kind of fight back. Um, and I think the only other game that I saw that was kind of borderline fascinating, um, just from like, uh, let's see how good you really are kind of vibe was Yale is playing at Auburn. Um, 
Yale is an Ivy League team that they yeah. should get blown out by Auburn. And Auburn has uh, a pretty good player in uh, in their own right um, that I I believe deserves some praise mm-hmm. uh, in Jabari Smith. But, you know, I think it's going to be an interesting matchup to see if, if Auburn's for real, they will blow Yale out. Yeah, so. they should. Um, I'll I'll go with the Big Big Ten ACC Challenge game, and I'll say I'll say Louisville Michigan State. It's kind of mediocre teams, but I mean it should be it would probably be a good game. It's Wednesday. Yeah. I mean, you know, I think Duke is going to trounce Ohio State. I think Purdue is going to trounce Florida State. Yeah. Um, Notre Dame, Illinois tonight. It's happening right now. It, it it might be a good one. So yeah, Notre Dame, Illinois. I mean, anytime Illinois is kind of in the mix, it's been it has been a mixed bag for them, kind of all year long. So I don't know. We'll see. And Notre Dame football struck a blow by losing their head coach tonight to LSU. So yeah. in football, so you know, just tough times in South Bend. All right, with that. Um, thank you so much for listening. Uh, Luke, thank you again for, uh, dealing with my conversation for the last hour. Yes. It's been a pleasure. (laughs) And, uh, remember to subscribe, tell your friends, visit the website, do whatever you need to do to find and share these nuggets of wrong predictions, but interesting analysis. Uh, and remember you can never study the game.